Well, I can say good morning again. Huh? We have a policy that when someone wants to transfer here, here, transfer here, that we'd call their, their other church. And we are privileged to have the Rodriguez. And so I called their pastor. <laughs> that was all good. And I said, we have a couple here. They seem awfully nice. And I said, it was Victor and Pam Rodriguez. Oh, yeah. You're going to love them. They are active. They're a joy to work with. And he said, if you don't want them, we'll take them back. (laughs) Well, I said, well, we do love them, and you can't have them back. So anyway, we're glad you're transferring here. And they're doing first week in our Are they? Okay. All right. Um, Elder Bill mentioned about the youth, and I, and I know some of our youth are getting into an age where they are making life decisions, you know, uh, thinking about prayerfully where, where, where they're going to go in their life, you know, what kind of occupation, where to do their schooling. I'd like you to just uplift all our, our youth in your prayer. I mean, this is a huge crossroads in their life, you know, and, and it's a very, very important that we all support them in our prayers, Okay. Did I turn this on? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Our Father, we we look forward to this communion service to to be able to rededicate our lives. Because Jesus said that when he went in the wilderness, he reaffirmed a decision he made in heaven that he, whatever the cost, he would die for us. So, Father, today, as we partake of this communion service, may we reaffirm our choice that we will follow Jesus, the one who loves us most, uh, the one who gave his life for us. And we thank you, Father, for that most precious gift. And so, Father, we now lay this service in your hands and ask that you be with us as we open up your word, as we consider a few thoughts before we partake of the communion service. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to turn to your Bibles to um, Revelation chapter 1, I will do this as a PowerPoint. But, um, and I want to kind of preface this. I know I had a Bible study last night with Alyssa and, and Zach. Uh, they're engaged. And Zach lives in Indiana. And, of course, you know Alyssa. She's part of our fellowship here. And, uh, and we were... Uh, he asked a question. We're going through the baptismal vows, and one of the one of the questions was, "Do we accept that Jesus is in heaven right now, interceding for us in the heavenly sanctuary?" And Zach asked this question, which is pertinent because I know it's a question that some of you have even asked here. What is Jesus actually doing there? And I think as we go through verse twelve through sixteen, um, we're going to get a snapshot. It won't explain everything he's doing for us up there but it'll give us an idea of part of what he does is such an important work, okay? But as we look at this opening verse for our scripture reading that Emery read to us, let's see here. In Revelation 1.16, and he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth was a two edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And I kind of want to begin focusing on that part where his 
contents was as the sun shineth as in noonday. But I want us to notice also that um, in the book of Revelation chapter 1, notice the emphasis on light. Jesus is, of course, the greatest light. To, to us, the sun is the most visible light to us. And Jesus is like the sun at noonday. But notice what he says about the church. We are like seven what? Lampstands, okay, to emit light, right? And the stars that are in Jesus' hands, and the stars give off light, right? They're just other suns, are actually called the seven angels, but messengers. It's like in the three angels' message. Uh, the angels of the three angels' message doesn't represent literal angels, but who? It represents us as his messengers. And so the seven stars in Jesus' hand aren't seven angels, literal angels. They are the messengers that Jesus holds in his hand. And I want us to just think in terms that you want to shine for Christ. And as a church, we want to be like a lampstand, right? But we can only shine if Jesus is the, is the sun in our life. And that we look to him. It's from him we get our warmth and we are able to see. It's the only way we can shine, okay? But I thought it's just a beautiful theme in the book of Revelation, okay? Now... If you were to look at the sun, and I'm not recommending that you do it, but you've probably done it. If you look at the sun for just a, a second or two, and then you look away, what do you see? You still see the sun in your eyes, don't you? So, when we look upon the sun of righteousness, Jesus Christ, we want his image to affect how we look at everything. It's like in the morning we want to look at the sun and always have the image of the sun in our sights. So that if we take the time to look at Jesus as our first work in the morning, it's going to help us to see Jesus in everything, right? And that's the kind of eyesight that we need. And so we behold him in our devotions and we go about our daily work and we still see him. That's the kind of devotions we want. We don't want a five-second devotion. We want to get an impression when we have a devotional. You want to take enough time to have an impression where Jesus is he's in your eyes and that you'll see him throughout the day. Does that make sense? Amen. Amen. So when John saw Jesus, and so from verse 12 through 16, Jesus or John's going to have a description of the beautiful glorified human form of Jesus. Because you know he's taken our human form for how long? Forever. And Jesus, now John is now seeing Jesus in heaven in this glorified human form, and he falls down as if he were... What does that mean? He didn't die. What does it mean that he fell down as if he were dead? Notice this statement. Those who live... Fainted. Yeah, I agree. Those who live nearest to Jesus discern most clearly the frailty and sinfulness of humanity. And their only hope is in the merits of a crucified and risen Savior. The reason John really fell down is because what he saw, he saw Jesus as he is, so magnificent. But in doing so, he realized his own frailty. This is how we must see Jesus every day. Because the problem with Laodicea is we think we're more spiritual than we are. And that's because we're not looking at the sun and getting that impression in our eyes. 
of how great he really is. I mean, think about someone who knows what? Everything. Now, be kind. How much do I know? <laughs> of all the knowledge that's in the universe, and that's 100%, what's my percent? It is, it is point zero 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 zero. I'm not exaggerating. He literally knows everything. And we're going to get into that. And that alone would make you fall before Jesus, wouldn't it? But it's not where he starts. But this is how we must behold Jesus, that we realize that without him, we can do nothing. This is how we must see Jesus. So the first thing he sees, he, Jesus, walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, or the midst of his churches, Throughout the length and breadth of the earth, Jesus is present in every assembly of the church. He's acquainted with every connected, with everyone connected with his service. He knows those whose hearts he can fill with the holy oil that he may impart it to others. So when you look at verse 12, and he hears a voice and he says, I turned to see the voice, that's the voice of Jesus, that spoke with me and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks, which represent the church. And in the midst of those candlesticks, one like the Son of Man. So this makes sense, doesn't it? John is writing this in 96 AD, and if he's seen Jesus in real time, he would logically see Jesus in what compartment? Holy place or most holy place? And that's where he sees him. He sees him amongst the seven golden candlesticks in the most holy place. But he sees these seven candlesticks and Jesus is walking between them, in the midst of them. And that means that Jesus is here right now. Jesus is in every congregation today. Is that right? It's exactly what this means. And right now you'd say, oh, I have to fall before Jesus. Because the way I see him right now in my eyes, like, well, look under the sun, I have this image. I've got this image that Jesus right now is in every church meeting today. That's awesome. And it's more than that. He's present in every assembly, and he's connected with what? Or acquainted with everyone connected in the service. So when Barb says, who wants to pray next week? You want to do that because of the next sentence. He, he knows those whose hearts he can fill with the holy oil that they may impart it to others. You want to put yourself in a position as often as you can to receive for the purpose of imparting. And this is how you wind up in the hand of Jesus as stars. Because you put yourself in a position to receive the rays from the sun, Jesus Christ, to be a lampstand, to be a star in the hand of Jesus, because this is how you, in part, receive the oil. And Jesus is familiar with everybody in the church who puts themselves in a position to impart good. And it's nice to know that Jesus is able to do that, isn't he? To know everybody in every congregation, to have them in his right hand to empower them, is just awesome. 
And if you have that image in your eyes, you want to be active. And activity isn't just what happens Sabbath morning. You can be active in parting truth to people outside these walls. Because most of our life is actually lived outside the walls. And you want to put yourself in a position to be in his hand and receive oil as you receive for the purpose of giving or imparting. Amen? Amen. It says here in manuscript 1A, Jesus himself supplies the oil to these burning lamps. He it is that kindles the flame. No church can have light if it fails to diffuse the glory it receives from the throne of God. If God gives me light because I'm a candle or a star, he expects me to to shine. He expects me to diffuse it. But if I fail to diffuse it, I lose that light. You and I, we have to walk in light because the world's just getting darker with sin. I mean, look at our world. It's already sinful enough. And what God's looking for is people who want more oil. They want more light. They want more of Jesus. They want to have him right in their mind's eye and see him everywhere, seeing opportunities everywhere to be a blessing, to impart truth, to impart a blessing, a kindness. Okay? So when, G- so when John sees Jesus, he says, I saw one like the... It doesn't say Son of God, even though he is. He sees him as the Son of Man because Jesus has our human form. If that's the only description, it would be a reason to fall down before Jesus. I don't know what Jesus looked like before he became a man. But he had omnipresence. And just the fact that he would become a man for me, for you, is worthy to fall down before him. Isn't this right? Because if he doesn't do this, we have no hope. We have no hope. Now, Jesus prayed, and now, Father... O Father, and now, O Father, glorify thou me with thy own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So Jesus didn't exist as soon as he was born of Mary. He what? He preexisted. And he had a glory with the Father that is mind-boggling to us, but it's something he had from eternity with the Father. And then he comes here, and now he's asking the Father to give him that kind of glory back to what he had with him from eternity. When did he receive that? And it was at Pentecost. Forty days here, ascends to heaven, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was a sign that the inauguration of Jesus is now final. If you read some of the description, Jesus is escorted by angels to the heavenly city, and they say in this city, who is it? It's the king of glory. Who is it? And they would ask this and go, can you imagine this scene? There's the new Jerusalem. And there's billions of angels. 
And imagine this going back and forth. Who is, oh, it's the king of glory. You see, the angels love Jesus. He's their commander. He's their Lord. He just died for humanity. He has this glorified human form. And it's like, this is just so amazing because he had a glory with the Father before he became man. And to think that the Son of God would always be in human form tells them that God is love. God is love. And they shout praise to him. And no doubt they bowed before him, as we should every day, simply because he became one of us. That would be enough. That would be enough. But Jesus had to, because men forgot what God was like. And if he doesn't come in human form, we're kind of guessing a little bit. But Jesus shows exactly what the Father's like in character in our flesh. Because in our flesh, if we beheld the Father right now, it would destroy us. So Jesus put on flesh so we could behold what God is really like. He's the one who, he's not the one that causes the tornadoes, though he's blamed for it. They call him acts of God, but no, he's the one that holds back the four winds. He's the one that heals the sick. Isn't that right? He's the one who still reaches for people who even deny his existence because he loves the atheists too. Then as John looks at him, he sees him clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. The paps is what's around his chest and the girdle's what's around his waist. And the paps on the chest would be that breastplate of righteousness. Jesus is being seen here as the high priest of the heavenly sanctuary. He's our intercessor. He's our high priest. And we are upon his chest. But it's a breastplate of righteousness. And usually around the waist where they would have somewhere they could put in the sword, it was because they were ready. I'm telling you, friends, it'd be enough just to see this. That he is the king, he is the priest of righteousness, and he's ready. There's nothing that surprises him. He knows the end from the beginning. Everything's in control. And we can praise God for that. Is that right? All we need to do is keep looking to the son of righteousness. He has absolute wisdom and discernment because it says in verse 14... His hair and his, his head and his hair were as white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a, a flame of fire. And so when you look at that description, you'd say, well, we say people who have white hair are older, and therefore they must be, they must be wise. But he's not just wise, he's what? He's all wise. There's nothing he doesn't know. And the eyes of flame as a flame of fire means there's nothing that he can't, There's nothing he can't see. I don't know about you, but I only have this much wisdom. And I can only see. Or maybe not even that, you know. But God knows everything. He knows everything about me. He knows everything that's going to happen. He has prepared for each trying circumstance. He sees within me my motives, every decision I've made and will make. But he's still the same God, the God of love, who will always do what's in my best interest. 
and we fall down and we worship him. But the beauty of knowing that he knows our every thought and our every motive is that he is the best, what does it say up there? He's the best problem solver. You have some decisions you got to make in life? Wondering which way to go in the fork of the road? You know why? Because we're finite. We don't know. But who knows? He knows. Does it please him that we go to him when we have these forks in the road? When we've got to make decisions in life? Because ultimately, this description tells me that he's the great problem solver. There's no problem he can't solve. Is this right? Absolutely. And if we as a church get into a bunch of problems, we haven't been looking at the sun. Is that right? That's a fair statement. It's a fair statement. Jesus is on a mission, friends. It says here in verse 15, His feet like unto fine brass, and as if they burned in a furnace. What do you use feet for? To walk. Where's Jesus walking? Where's Jesus going? To preach the good news, to preach the truth. Everywhere he goes, he presents truth. Everywhere he goes, he imparts love. He's on a mission. He's afoot. He's on the move. And he was willing to even have his feet like burnished bronze as it burns in a fire. Jesus is on a mission. And the only way to save us was that his feet brought him here. You realize that? To preach the good news, his feet had to bring him here. And what a wonderful God who saw the cost and his feet still brought him here because that's where his heart is. Is that right? I'm walking down this aisle not because my feet told me to go this way. My mind did. It's what's in Jesus' mind it's what's in Jesus' heart that led his feet here and to walk a path that led to the cross. That's a mission. What's our mission? There's no greater mission than to let the world know what his mission is. Isn't that what the three angels' message is about? That God has a perfect mission that he's going to give sin enough time to manifest itself. And that he'll have a people in the end who will follow Jesus wherever he goes. But in this beautiful plan and in this mission, there has to come a time where the judgment must begin. And he'll have to go through every name in the book, everyone who's confessed him. And then, when that last name is done, he comes out and he's still on a mission because he's going to return as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's still on a mission because a thousand years later he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. I'm telling you, Jesus is on a mission, friends. And may our feet keep us on the mission. God raised us up for a purpose. And this is where our feet must always take us as Seventh-day Adventists, is on that mission. His voice is the sound of many waters. It doesn't say 
voices. One voice. One voice. Many waters. Harmonious. Healing. Speaking to how many people of the world? All the people of the world. Seas represent peoples. And he's speaking to all the multitudes of the earth. With his one voice. Isn't that something? Just to have one voice can speak to every human heart in this world. That is amazing. That alone would make you fall to feet of Jesus. It says here, Jesus' voice flows, from his voice flows the words of life, speaking the vast multitudes of the earth. And this is what's true. Jesus didn't become the voice since his resurrection. Jesus has always played the role of the voice of the Father. He's always been a spokesperson for the Father, even before sin entered our universe. Wow, there couldn't have been a better spokesperson. And he had in his right hand seven stars. And, of course, the seven stars are the seven angels, which are the messengers. This isn't just the pastor. It's anybody who teaches Sabbath school. It's any time you're out giving a Bible study to someone. Any time you're trying to reach somebody and share literature and encourage them to take the next step, you've become a messenger of truth, a messenger of his kingdom. And being in his right hand, you want to be in his right hand because his right hand represents power. You want the power of righteousness of his right hand. And Paul even talked about extending the right hand of fellowship. Jesus is inviting every one of us to be a messenger. Isn't this right? To be a messenger. And so Jesus is... He's the spokesperson for the universe. He, he's an equipper. He's not just a problem solver. So in my eyes, I see Jesus. He's my problem solver. Anytime I got a problem, go to Jesus. If I need training, go to Jesus. He's the equipper. He's the one who holds me in his right hand. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, which we know is what? The word of God. Practical truth must be brought into the life. And the word, like a sharp two-edged sword, must cut away the surplus of self that there is in our, that is in our character. Jesus is the character builder. I mean, these are all snapshots of what he's doing in heaven. Imagine how busy he is. He's an equipper. He's a problem solver. He's a character builder. He's the light. He's all this to us. And this isn't a complete study on this. It's just looking at four verses in the Bible. But Jesus builds our character by cutting away. Cutting away what? Because there's no room, really, for self-centeredness in the universe. That's ultimately what led to the fall of Lucifer. As he turned and worshipped himself. And as he worshipped himself, he no longer worshipped God. You can't do both. You can't worship yourself and worship God at the same time. There's only one that sits on the throne. There's one problem solver, one equipper, 
and that is God. And there's none, there's none other. There's nobody else like him. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Our sun being the brightest luminary in the sky, Jesus must be first, best, most, brightest influence in our life. But as we look at the sun, is that one of the laws of health? Why is sunlight so good for us? What does it do for us? Provides vitamin D. Provides vitamin D. Very good. But you, no, no, that's great. It actually physiologically does something. If you follow and follow Jesus, there will be physiological changes in your body. And they will all be positive. Right? If you have negativity, you secrete different chemicals in your body, and it brings forth disease. You know, I woke up this morning, it was cloudy, it was dreary. But that didn't make me cheerful. What makes me cheerful? Sunshine, yeah? Sunshine makes you cheerful. If you get more of the sun, if you get more of Jesus, you're going to be what? You're going to be more joyful. You're going to have heaven's peace, you're going to be a happier person. Is this right? And a healthier person at that. This is the last, and then we'll prepare for our communion. Do we realize how near Jesus will come to us? He is speaking to us individually. He will reveal himself to everyone who is willing to be clothed with the robe of righteousness. He declares, I, the Lord, thy God, will hold thy right hand. Every one of you. Let us place ourselves where we can hold, where he can hold us by the hand. Where we can hear him say with assurance and authority. I am him that, and him that liveth and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. Our assurance is not in ourselves. But you can have assurance. Because your assurance is in who he is. And in every promise he's ever made. Because if anybody keeps all his promises, it's going to be God. If you draw close to Christ, you'll learn of him more. You'll be happier, you'll be a brighter candlestick and a brighter star. But you will also have an assurance. Not that you can't fall, but it won't be because of him. We just need to hold his hand and say, Jesus, lead me. Because I can't lead myself. I'm finite, I'm fallible, I don't know where to go without you. Let me start each day with you and lead me to the way everlasting. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we want to thank you for our beautiful Jesus. Help us, Father, to, to behold him and that in our mind's eye, that son of righteousness is still there. And may it be able to be in our eyes, mind, in everything we see, the opportunities, the the choices we make, that Jesus is ever-present. But thank you, Father, that Jesus is to us as a high priest, a, a problem-solver, an equipper, someone to hold us by the hand. And so, Father, may each one of us learn more and more how to walk with Jesus. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the Seventh-day Adventist Church, we practice open communion. So you don't have to be a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church to participate in the communion service. If you have accepted Jesus, uh, we have open communion, and we welcome you to participate with us. And uh, 
Normally we would have foot washing, but we're not quite set up, but next time we will be. And I know that becomes an important part of our service, but I look forward to our opportunity now that we will prepare our hearts to partake of these emblems that represent the body of Jesus and his shed blood on our behalf. Okay? Let us prepare our hearts. Amen. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. 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 (laughs) Hey, how you doing? Let's turn to uh, 307. Hymn number 307. shall full salvation find I am trusting Lord in thee O the Lamb of Calvary humbly on thy cross I bow save me Jesus save me now long my heart died for thee long has Reign within Jesus sweetly speaks to me. I will cleanse through all from sin. I am trusting, Lord, in thee. All the life of Calvary, only thy cross I bound. Save me, Jesus, save me now. I give my all to thee. Friends and time and earthly store, soul and body thine to be, only thine forevermore. I am trusting, Lord, in thee. O the Lamb of Calvary, humbly on thy cross I bow. Save me, Jesus, save me now. Jesus comes, he fills my soul. Perfect in him I am. I am ever Glory, glory to the Lamb. I am trusting, Lord, in Thee. O the Lamb of Calvary, humbly at Thy cross I bow. Save me, Jesus, save me now. Three or nine. I surrender all. Three or nine. 